we received the news at the beginning of audio editing that two of the people who have inspired our characters on this episode are sick with the coronavirus. So please keep them in your prayers. Previously on Building Evelyn She told Evelyn to go inside and kept on walking towards the man and telling him to leave at once. As she approached him, she noticed he had one of his hands inside his pants. She started screaming at the top of her lungs when she saw that and yelled pervert for all to hear. That's when the men started to run and Pisa, who was coming home from work, ran towards his wife asking what had happened and who was the man running. She told him quickly what the man had done and Peace turned around and ran furiously after the man who was Welcome to Building Evelyn. This dramatic story is based in true events but written with a bit of fiction showcasing Brazilian culture throughout the story. Some chapters are written by different writers and each writer not only continues the story using real events and facts, but also puts their own twist on the previous writer's idea to keep the story moving. I am Jackie Passau and this chapter was written by me. Evelyn didn't sleep much the night before her first day of second grade. She was awake early since she continued to attend morning school and had her uniform ready along with some of her school supplies, the majority of which were provided by her school as another added bonus of her father's job being part of the manufacturing association. A week before school started, each student's parents received their supplies from the school. Mary received pencils, notebooks, and all the books Evelyn would need for the school year. The books could be new or used, depending on the condition of the books, and especially if they were new, her mother would cover the books with wrapping paper to preserve the cover so the next year another child would enjoy the same book and appreciate the care from Evelyn and her mother. The excitement was almost too much to bear, Mary thought. She just wanted to make sure everything was orderly, but Evelyn was running through the house, pulling her father's hands to take her to school even before eating breakfast. Breakfast at Evelyn's house was always the same. Fresh baked bread from the bodega up the road with margarine and coffee. But it didn't bother her then. Evelyn didn't like the coffee that her mother made because she thought it was way too sweet. 
she could never understand why her mother used so much sugar. Mary would make juice the same way, but this made sense to Evelyn because sometimes that wouldn't be enough fruit, so Mary would have to make up for it with water, and so it wouldn't be sweet enough. That morning, Evelyn had no appetite because she was eager to get going. Mary was exhausted, and Evelyn's little sister, Ellen, was not having a good morning either. She usually drank tea from a bottle in the morning, but lately her teeth would bleed when she sucked the tea, and it would be a huge mess. Her tea would be bloody, and so would her mouth, and she would begin to cry. At this point, Mary didn't care if her eldest child ate in the morning because she knew Evelyn would at least have a decent lunch at school. Peace placed the supplies in Evelyn's bag and carried it on his shoulder, and with Evelyn on one hand and his lunchbox in the other, he left heading through the favela towards Evelyn's school, and from there, catch the bus to work at the accounting department at the factory in which he worked. Once they found her classroom, Evelyn chose her seat by the window. She figured it would be a nice spot to be whether it was sunny or raining. She could always get the breeze, as the windows in her school were always open, and that made her happy. Her father didn't stay long in her new classroom or spent much time getting to know the teacher. He had a bus to catch, and his boss didn't really care about personal appointments, as he wanted everyone in the office on time, always. Evelyn hugged her father before he left and went back to sit down at the little table. The second grade classrooms were in a different section of the school. Similar to Evelyn's kindergarten and first grade, it had its own playground and restrooms. This section of the school didn't have hallways. The classrooms were connected to each other by sharing walls, but once you left the classroom, you were outside. The bathrooms were directly in front of the classroom Evelyn was taught in. And behind that, there was a library that almost stretched the entire length of all four classrooms in that particular section. Behind those four classrooms was a well-maintained greenery, a sidewalk, and then finally the preschool classrooms. The exterior walls of the building were a bright yellow color, and all the grounds were either sand or grass. To Evelyn's great pleasure, there was a giant old cajou tree that was low to the ground, and she was sure she would have great recesses playing on it. The tree was in the middle of the playground, which also had a swing set, a merry-go-round, and monkey bars. The classrooms were always bright since the walls of the classroom were painted white and because the constant sunlight pouring into the open windows and with it smooth outside air hinted with the scent of flowers and freshly groomed grass. There were two large fans on the ceiling and the children fought to get the desks that were directly under them. Evelyn was happy there learning playing, and making new friends. She met a little girl her age named Ella, 
who had later become her best friend. They would venture around the school complex together, and on occasion, Ella's mom would supervise their adventures, and sometimes she would even join in with the children before it was time to part ways. The children would hug and say goodbye until the next day, going to their separate homes. When Mary was little, she dreamed of what life would be in the city. Living in her family's coastal fruit farm her whole life, she only heard stories of what the capital looked like, and she could only imagine what it would be like to browse fashion magazines in her free time, TV she could watch, and cars she would ride in on smooth, paved roads. She knew simple life suited her, but at the same time she sought for adventure, something different than cashew trees and cashew oil burns. One of Mary's tasks was to make sure, once the cashew was removed from its fruit, it was placed in the sun to dry. They had an area on the farm that was a wide open space with no shade so the sun would touch every inch of ground. Her siblings would spread a tarp-like cloth on the ground and secure it with pieces of wood and then Mary would dump the nuts on it and spread them evenly so each one would get its sun time. Every nut needed to dry completely to be able to be set on fire, since every nut needed to dry completely to be able to be set on fire, and the sun was the agent to dry the nuts' natural oils. This process took many labor hours as Mary had to churn the nuts every so often and place the dried and ready-to-be-cooked nuts in a large plastic pail. If the cashew was not completely dry and it was set on fire, the oil would make small explosions during the cooking time, shooting hot oil in every direction, burning everyone in close proximity. Mary's siblings would say that every burn scar they had was her fault because they said it was her job to make sure the cashews were completely dry and that if they weren't, she was to blame. At 16, she was glad to leave the countryside fruit farm to live with her aunt in a city. While they had a humble house, she was specially grateful and appreciated one of life's in the city most basic things, electricity. How wonderful it was to turn the light on, to bathe before bed, or to have dinner and see her family's face like it was daytime outside. Back home, she had a kerosene lamp to carry around, and she was lucky to have it for more than a couple minutes, having to share all the little she had with 16 siblings. Life in the city was busy, and Mary didn't return to visit the farm very much and oftentimes she would let her mind wander about the people back at home. She found that she missed her direct family and many of her sisters deeply. 
Mary and Peace married when she was 23 years old. Evelyn was born four years after, and Ellen eight years after the marriage. Mary had only a few chances to visit the countryside to see her family since she was so busy with her little life. She had been homesick for a while, and had asked Peace many times if she could take the girls to meet her side of the family. But he said no every time, saying they had no extra money to pay for such an expense. Peace was the sole provider, so whatever he said, it was to be done. Mary didn't work, and their humble lifestyle was maintained by his minimum wage salary at the factory. Extra money was almost a bad word in her house, and lately. He was always angry when he was sober. When he was drunk, he was impossible to talk to. So she kept her distance and didn't press him, afraid he would push her around. When the news came that her mother left her father and moved to a different state, Mary was sad and cried out loud. She had to go and see how her father was doing. How things were on the farm without her mother. One particular day, Mary was sitting at the circle table in the kitchen when Peace walked in and complained with an angry voice, "What is wrong with you? Are you just crying for nothing now? Give me a break!" And with that, he stormed out of the room, giving her no chance to reply and offering no comfort. He left Mary and the children alone in the house often, going to the bodegas to drink. Mary told herself she was going to find a way to go visit her father, whether Peace liked it or not. She thought about how he claimed not to have extra money to give her, but he was able to find extra money to drink, and his hypocrisy irritated her. She contemplated what she was going to do, and patiently waited until he got home. Knowing he was going to be drunk, she wanted to try to talk to him anyway. Mary soon realized it was a lost cause to try to speak with him over this topic, and she left, leaving him to go to bed. She waited an hour in her backyard, just sitting, looking at the sky. And listening to the people around her, who were still awake, conversating, and laughing, she wondered what they were talking about, and how they could seem so carefree. After an hour had passed, she stealthily crept into hers and Peace's bedroom to see how deep of a sleep he was in. She figured she could roll him over carefully, though, not to wake him. And remove his wallet from his pocket to take the money she needed for her and Evelyn's bus fare. She planned to place the wallet back in his pocket, the same way she removed it, to ensure he wouldn't stir awake. If she was successful and he asked her about the missing money, she would say he probably lost it when he was drunk. She concluded that it would be good reasoning, but in the case that she wasn't as gentle as she needed to be, and he woke up, 
she knew she would be sorry for her life, as the beating she would get would be severe. Turns out, she had no trouble rolling him slightly and removing his wallet. But as she was looking through his wallet, he shifted in the bed. Her heart froze, frightened that she had been caught. She immediately began sweating bullets, and almost automatically she ducked as he yelled, What are you doing here, bitch? Mary was shaking with terror, not knowing what was going to become of her. She still clutched his wallet in her hands. She prayed a silent prayer that he would not get up and see her crouched on the floor beside the bed. As if nothing had happened at all, peace rolled over to his side. She waited a while, not sure of how long, considering it felt like hours, and quickly stood and as if in one motion she removed the cash from the wallet, placed it back in his pocket and turned for the door, leaving the room speedily, she was practically running. She was shaken when she got to the kitchen and searched the room for an unsuspected place to hide the money. She shuffled out the kitchen, going outside, welcoming the chilly night air into her lungs. The next day, Peace noticed that some of the money from his wallet was gone. He tried to retrace his steps from the night before in hopes he would find the missing money, but it was a lost cause because he couldn't remember anything. He grew upset that he couldn't find it, but the idea of his wife going through his wallet that night never once crossed his mind. He decided not to mention anything to her because he figured it wasn't any of her business. A week later, Mary informed Peace that her father had called, telling her about her mother leaving. She claimed that he told her how much he missed her and how he wanted to see her and the girls, so he was sending her money to cover the bus fare. Peace listened to the story and calmly said, Who is going to cook while you are away? She replied saying, I can cook everything and live in the fridge. That way, you will just have to heat it up. Peace looked quizzically and finally nodded in agreement. Mary was happy that her plan had worked, and she began packing for her and the girls. She made sure to inform Evelyn's teacher about the trip, so they knew to send home the homework for the days Evelyn would be gone. Mary planned to make the trip the next day. It was the children's first time going to the country to visit family, and they were both excited. Mary had told Evelyn that the farm was very big and that the trees were very tall. But all Evelyn really cared about was getting to see the horses. Evelyn was informed that there were four horses who loved to bathe in the lagoon. The journey there was quite the distance. 
Mary explained to Evelyn that they needed to work together to make sure the three of them stayed safe. They walked to the bus stop to catch the bus to the regional bus station, and from there they would buy their tickets and wait for their time to board. The girls had a snack of sliced oranges and used the restroom before the four-hour bus ride. When they reached the bus station, closest to the farm, night had fallen. A friend of the family was waiting for them to take them to the house, and by the time they got there, the girls were fast asleep. Mary was so happy to finally get to visit everyone. Six of her sisters lived there, and one of her brothers. And as if they had appeared out of thin air, many relatives came to say hello. So many, in fact, that it looked like a party, with everyone talking, drinking coffee, and eating beiju. Behind her father's house was a huge cassava plantation, and to the side of it, they had what they called the flower house. The roof was made up of palm leaves, and there weren't any walls. The breeze went straight through it, and it felt really nice on a hot summer day. After its harvest, the cassava was taken to the flower house, and there they would clean it, peel the hard skin, shred it, and press it to drain the liquid. Once dried, the flour was strained or roasted for consumption. With the flour, they would make a hard, thin pancake-like snack called beiju. It was crispy and you would eat it with honey and coffee. The cassava could have also been eaten, boiled or fried. The next day, Mary showed the farm to Evelyn and Ellen. The main house was the same simple house that once housed Mary and all 16 of her siblings. But now, with a few small upgrades. When Mary lived there, the walls were made out of intertwined thin tree branches filled with mud. And now it was bricks and concrete. The once woven twig door was replaced by one of wood planks and nails. And the palm leaf roof was replaced by tiles, but there still weren't any floors in addition to the dirt floors. Three bedrooms for 18 people? Evelyn questioned. How was there enough room for so many beds? Mary smiled down at the child. Not everyone had a bed, she told her. Some of them slept on hammocks hung over the beds. Each hammock had mosquito nets, and everyone was content with what they had. Outside, there was an outhouse, a room for bathing, and a huge well. The well was the kind you have to toss a bucket down into and pull it up full of water. Evelyn thought it was a lot of work to keep pulling the water from the well that way, and she was grateful for the manual pump she had at home. 
She told herself to not complain next time she needed to pump water to flush the toilet because now she knew she was lucky. The water took extra work to collect. Regardless, there were buckets of bathing that needed filling, a large clay pot that needed to be filled with water for cooking, and so did a ceramic water filter that provided clean drinking water. One of Mary's brothers died after drinking contaminated water, and their father made sure to have the efficient water filter used by many Brazilians who lived in big cities brought to the country for the family to use. Its activated charcoal filters the water while the silver component removes the chlorine, and the clay keeps the water nice and cool. Evelyn was also mesmerized by the amount of chickens running around in groups, clucking and laying eggs everywhere. That night, they had an egg casserole for dinner that everyone enjoyed. During dinner, one of Evelyn's cousins, a teenage boy, told her that they could take the horses to bait at the lagoon the next day. She was instantly intrigued and could hardly wait to experience the horses up close the next day. When it was time to retire for the night, Evelyn laid in the hammock, imagining the trip with the horses, dozing off while dogs barked in the distance. While the children were asleep and without the interference of her relatives, Mary sat down with her father to talk about what had happened to cause her mother to leave. He explained that someone told him she was cheating on him and he didn't want her there if she was going to do such things. So he told her to leave. Mary was speechless. She thought that her mother was too busy caring for the household and the farm to find another man. But since most of Mary's siblings were grown, they were the ones taking care of the farm. Still, the news came as a surprise to Mary, but she was not there when it happened. She had to believe on her father's explanation. The next day, Everyone was excited to go to the lagoon trip with the horses. They packed snacks and prepared lunches and wore their bathing suits under their clothes. Each horse had two riders, and Mary's brother-in-law took Ellen on the child's seat of his bicycle. He also had a full sack of cashews and cassava flour that he planned to trade for fish with a local fisherman the family was acquainted with. Evelyn was riding with her older cousin. This would be her first horseback ride, and he told her to hold on tight and to let him know if any issues on her part arose. He said they would be riding for a while and there were no saddles, so it might be uncomfortable for her. Evelyn held tight, worried that she would fly off the horse at any moment. She became irritated, wondering why her cousin didn't seem bothered by the horrible feeling of riding bareback, wanting him to feel the same discomfort as she did. 
She complained that she could feel the horse's hips and legs move on her rear end and that it was rather uncomfortable. He explained that it was probably the horse's spine that she was feeling and she had to deal with it a little longer because they were almost to the lagoon. To Evelyn, the trip took forever and she wanted to dismount as soon as possible, but for some reason everyone else seemed to be having a great time and even Ellen looked as if she enjoyed her bike ride. Once there, the horses went to relax in the lagoon and so did most of the people. Evelyn was afraid to go into the deep part of the lagoon, not knowing what could be lurking at the bottom. Just to be safe, she stayed in the shallow water, playing in the sand with her sister and cousins. Mary saw that the girls were playing safely away from the water and stayed in the lagoon to chat with her sisters who also went along. She shared with them that she had a chance to talk to their father about their mother leaving and what he told her about why it had happened. The ladies looked at one another, confused, and shook their heads in disagreement. One of them said that what she was told was not what happened at all. They told her it was actually her father who got involved with another woman. He had fallen in love with the new woman and wanted a more serious relationship with her. Mary's sisters explained that someone had given him the idea to shame her mother and his wife and kick her out. He figured that once she had gone, he would be able to have an open relationship with his new lover, who of which was already carrying his child. Mary was appalled that her father had the audacity to lie to her face about the matter, thinking she wouldn't find the truth. She was ashamed of him and was angered that he would disrespect their family name. They spent the day at the lagoon. When it came a time where it was time to head home, Evelyn's cousin planned to make a detour to the fish market on the way back to the house. The market was right by the lagoon, not far from the beach. You could see its close proximity to the beach by looking at its white sand. The sand by Evelyn's grandfather's house was gray-tinted in contrast. Evelyn told her cousin her body still ached from the trip to the lagoon and didn't want to ride the horse. There was no other way to take her home, so he placed her in front of him with her legs to his left side. It was still a bit difficult for Evelyn because the horse was slippery where she was sitting, but her cousin held her and made sure she didn't fall. They didn't go fast, and for part of the ride, she held onto the horse's mane, steering which she liked. Evelyn liked the smell of fish, and lucky for her, there was lots of it at the market. She thought the pink color of some of the fish was pretty and wondered if they tasted just as nice as they looked. It was odd because they were dead, but she still thought they were pretty to look at. 
Despite Evelyn's interest in a pink-colored fish, her uncle chose a different kind, the kara, a tilapia kind of fish that many liked because of its meaty flesh and low cost. It wasn't as pretty as the other kind of fish Evelyn looked at, but he told her its flesh was tasty and that since it was cheap, they could trade almost anything in exchange for enough to feed everyone at the house leaving enough extra that there would be leftovers to eat the next day. That night, they prepared the fish on the grill and ate it with bayon de dois, which is rice cooked inside seasoned bean juice mixed with the beans. The day after, they made fish stew and pirão, which is the term used when you cook cassava flour inside the fish stew sauce. Mary felt queasy after finishing her pirão, and her sister watched the children while she went to a hammock in the shade to lay down. She fell asleep after a while, but woke up feeling worse than she had before she took her nap. That same day, she told her father and sisters that she was going back home, saying that she was going to go to the doctor if the nausea persisted. She was glad she was able to make this trip and that her daughters got to experience it with her and they left the next day with very happy hearts. Peace was enraged when Mary informed him she might be pregnant again. Mary had still been feeling unwell even after leaving the farm. She intended to request a blood draw from her doctor to determine whether or not she was right about her growing suspicion. Peace complained that they hardly had enough money to feed the family as is and they didn't need another expense from one more human. Mary sobbed silently while he proceeded to rant about how much money was necessary to support their family, money they didn't have. I don't want another child, he said. You should know better. Looking at her like this was completely obvious. Mary's mind wandered to the rumors going around the neighborhood about Peace having another family besides the one he had with Mary. She never confronted him about it because she wanted to pretend she never heard the story to begin with. Rumor had it that Peace had a daughter about the age of Ellen and she looked like Evelyn with another woman. Mary covered her face with her hands, weeping but making no sound. She tried to convince herself that she was going to be okay. She was going to find a way to cover the new baby's expenses. After she thought about it for days, Mary decided she was going to learn to sew. She talked to a seamstress, and the kind woman lent Mary a sewing machine. She said that she would give Mary a job if she took a course to learn the patterns for essential clothing items and how to operate a manual sewing machine at optimum speed and accuracy. 
Mary knew that there was a free sewing class for manufacturing families at the complex where Evelyn attended grade school. So she went to gather information after dropping Evelyn in her classroom. She presented them with her Manufacturing Association ID card and it was able to enroll in classes scheduled for the following month. The class was in the evening, so she asked one of the neighbors, a teenage girl, to watch Evelyn and Ellen. She told her she didn't have money to pay her, but if she was patient, she could make her a nice dress once she had her work figured out, and the girl thankfully agreed. Mary found the classes interesting and she learned many useful skills. The teachers provided all the materials and patterns and even allowed her to bring the projects home as homework. Evelyn enjoyed watching her mother cut the fabric on top of their kitchen table. While Mary went through this whole ordeal, Peace never said a thing about it, besides telling her that she had to make sure he always had his food ready and his clothes washed and pressed but he didn't seem to care about much else. Once Mary finished the course, her final graduation project looked professional enough that the seamstress was pleased with it. And soon enough, she received the manual sewing machine, fabric, and everything else she would need for the job. Mary was allowed to keep the machine at her house, and as long as she completed the orders on time, she was allowed to use the leftover fabric and thread to sew things for herself. In no time, she completed the dress she promised to make for the babysitter. On a special trip to the downtown fabric store, Mary got soft cotton in a variety of colors, low-grade linen, and many different colors and types of threads. It was time to make her new baby some clothes. Mary started to making the shirts. Some of the shirts she made were long-sleeved for rainy days and some had short sleeves. Once the shirts were all completed, Mary would embroider cute designs and patterns on them. She chose gender-neutral colors like reds, greens, and yellows since she didn't yet know the gender of her baby. When Evelyn saw the little baby clothes all neat and done with so much care, she was intrigued. She never saw her mother make children's clothing because most of her work was trousers for men. Evelyn cautiously approached the small pile of tiny shirts and asked her mother if she could touch them. Mary looked at her daughter and nodded, smiling. Then she asked, Do you like them? Evelyn observed the shirts for a second longer, touching the embroidery with intense delicacy before responding, Very much. Do you think the baby would like them? Evelyn looked at her mother, bewildered. What baby? she asked. Mary touched her belly, and with a bright smile, she said, This baby.
The morning of November twenty-third was the same as any other morning, except it was Peace's birthday. The family woke up early to get ready for the day. Breakfast was made. Peace's lunch got packed, and both Evelyn and Peace left to start their walk towards the school and bus stop. A birthday is just like any other day when you are poor. Peace told Mary through the years. But now she knew it was his birthday, but nothing was said or done about it. Mary worked from her small porch, and Ellen stayed home with her. They tried to send her to preschool at the beginning of the year, but she cried all day long, until they finally decided to take her out and keep her home until the next year, when they would try again. By then, she would be in kindergarten and more mature. While Mary worked, the babysitter entertained Ellen, keeping the small child from distracting her. Mary had become an exceptional seamstress and liked her job, even though it was a bit difficult to sit and sew for long hours with a nine-month belly. She had to take many breaks now to stand up and walk around. At noon, she paused her work so the three of them could have lunch. Mary was serving Ellen and the babysitter when her water broke. She asked the babysitter to take care of Ellen while she cleaned herself up and the mess around her. She quickly decided she was going to go to the hospital because her contractions were rapidly increasing. She changed clothes and picked up the bag she had put together for this exact moment, one of which had contained the baby's clothing, clean cloth diapers, and little socks, along with another change of clothing for herself. She told the sitter which hospital she was going to, and asked if she would walk to Miss Jose's house to let her know what was happening. And with that, Mary headed out the door. The walk to the bus stop was short, but to Mary, it felt like she had been walking for ages. The heat of the sun was beating down on her in sizzling waves, and Mary's clothes were drenched with her sweat. The excruciating pain of the contractions made it nearly impossible for her to continue walking and remain calm. When she finally reached the bus stop, the pain dramatically hindered her ability to sit still and wait for the bus to arrive. She wasn't sure how long it would take for the bus to arrive, but she knew for certain that she couldn't wait for the bus in her current state. She needed to move to the next bus stop down the road, but she wasn't sure if her level of discomfort would hinder her journey. As she kept walking, she repeatedly missed many buses. She trudged on, only pausing to catch her breath on a wall or a tree when a contraction approached. She felt sick to her stomach and so uncomfortable due to the constant need to pee, which she couldn't hold much longer, having to relieve herself three times before reaching her destination. 
Time passed in slow motion, but 30 minutes later, she arrived at the hospital exhausted, drenched in sweat and pale. The nurses saw her approaching the hospital and rushed to her with a wheelchair and rolled her inside. Mary had had children before, so she knew what to expect, but still everything felt surreal. Her entire pregnancy was filled with turmoil. She was left to fend for herself from the beginning, feeling that she couldn't burden anyone with her struggles, doing what she thought to be necessary. This is to be her last child if peace gets what he wishes. The nurses situated Mary, and the labor was well on its way. When the doctor came in, He examined Mary and told her she could have the baby normally as it was positioned properly in the birth canal, unlike her other previous daughters, where she was forced to opt for a C-section. He assured her that she would do just fine if she decided to proceed with a vaginal birth. She was dilated six centimeters already, and so she did. Meanwhile, Evelyn got home from school to find an empty house. Confused, she wondered what happened to everyone. She placed the bag down by her bed and headed towards her grandmother's house where she found the sitter and Ellen. Miss Josie told her that her mother was at the hospital having the baby and that she was in good hands there. She had called Peace at his job at the factory and Gracious at the bank to let them both know what was happening. Gracious told her mother she was passing by Peace's job at the end of her shift to pick him up so they both could go to visit with Mary if possible, as they didn't know how far along she was in labor. Miss Josie told the sitter to go home after thanking her for her help all day. Now Evelyn and Ellen were home with their grandmother and they were in good hands until Peace and Gracious returned from the maternity hospital with the news. When Gracious and Peace arrived at the hospital around 5.30 p.m., the receptionist told them that visiting hours were at 3 p.m. and that she needed approval to let them visit Mary. They explained how they had just heard about the delivery and came from work as fast as they could, but the answer was still the same. The doctor who had seen Mary came to greet them and told them both that Mary was fine. She delivered a healthy baby girl not long ago, but wasn't yet ready to have visitors. He said they could return the next day at regular visiting hours to see Mary and the new baby. Peace and Gracious left the hospital disappointed but happy to know she was fine. The little girl shared a birthday with her father and Peace was certainly going to drink to that. Dinner was at Miss Josie's that night and they waited until everyone was together except for Mary, of course, to talk about the event of the day. Evelyn and her sister were happy to learn that the baby was another girl, just like them. Peace took the next day off 
and Miss Josie prepared the baby's hammock right before it was time to go visit with them at the hospital. Peace went alone by bus, and Gracious asked him to call her from the hospital if they decided that Mary and the baby were ready to go home, so she could leave early from work to pick them up. Peace called his sister after 5 p.m., saying that they were ready to go home. Evelyn had been thinking about how her mother went to the hospital to have the baby, but there had been no previous discussion about what the name of the baby would be. She noticed the pattern of her and her sister's name, which reminded her of her best friend's name, Ella. Miss Josie was at Peace's home with the girls when they arrived. Everyone was elated that day, glowing from the new life. Before bedtime, Evelyn went to see her mother and the baby without the interference of everyone else. The little child's hand was so tiny and her eyes were closed. Evelyn looked from the baby to her mother and asked, Can we name her Elle? To her surprise, Mary agreed. Building Evelyn's Original Story, Narration and Production by Jackie Pesau. This chapter was written by Jackie Pesau and edited by Karen Mata. Music by Clark James. You can listen to his amazing music on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. To learn more, visit ClarkJamesPiano.com or find him on Facebook or Amazon. I hope you find this podcast entertaining. If you are interested in contributing a song or to write the next chapter of the story, submit an email at info at buildingevelyn.com and we will consider featuring it. If you want to get in touch with us, find us on WhatsApp at 513-580-4595. For more chapters, Listen on your favorite podcast player, our YouTube channel, or head over to our website, buildingevelyn.com. That is B-L-D-G-E-V-E-L-Y-N.com. And while you are there, consider clicking the donate link. That would be so nice of you.